Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is a comics podcast that's got a little thing for animation on the side. This is your host, Elon Levin, aka Twitter's Elana Brooklyn. And today we are journeying to a time where science was considered evil and people didn't believe it. And there were some really dire consequences when people treated women badly. And there was bats that came and began to eat people and there was Draculas everywhere. And oh, hey, I've been bit by Castlevania. (laughs) Castlevania is like taking over my mind. I uh, didn't start watching this show until this year. I'm like the newest newcomer of the fandom. I've never played the video game. You got to watch it all at once. I'm really jealous. I did did pretty much. (laughs) And um, I did. So I didn't begin watching it until just recently and um, never played the video game in my life. And I have two guests who are here to talk about it with me. And I'm really excited to have them. And first we will, though, we will, first we will help you determine if you should, um, like, get into the show yourself, and then we'll get into the spoilery stuff. Joining me on the show is Kat Overland. Kat is a freelance culture critic and as the small press editor of Women Write About Comics, and is hoping to catch up on her pull list while social distancing this month. Welcome to the show again, Kat. Hi, great to have, uh, great to be here. Excited to and talk Leslie about Leslie Lee. Yes, Castle, Castlevania. Uh, Leslie Lee the Third is a writer and host of the Struggle Session. Welcome back to the show, Leslie. Uh, thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, I was on Leslie's show to talk about The Dark Knight Returns um, not that long ago, and um, I and, and you've been on my show to talk about Deathstroke, and we're all uniting now to talk about a, diff- a topic that's really pretty different <laughs> from what we've covered so far. So. As I said, I was sort of a like a late adopter of the show. I I feel like had somebody told me that Warren Ellis was showrunner of an English language anime, I might have paid attention sooner. Um, it just seemed like such a crazy concept that this was a thing that could happen. So uh, thank you, Alex DeCampi, for saying to me, "Yes, Ilana, there's a <laughs> there, there, Warren Ellison is showrunning an anime about Draculas." I was like. Okay, thank you. I needed to know that. I needed that spelled out. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his comics writing, and um, I don't know that he's written for television at this sort of scale before. Uh, uh, the show is extremely well produced and high quality. I, uh, like I said, I've never played the games, and it doesn't seem to matter. Although I do find it fascinating to see the ways in which I can kind of vaguely sense out how a video game is kind of underlying it. Um, but yeah, the show's quality and production is extremely high. There's so many be- pauses to look at beautiful scenery. Um, like they actually let you sit and look at this fantastical nature that they're painting on the screen. The voice actors are tremendous. Everybody's just knocking it out of the ballpark. And it's, uh, you know, it's a horror story, but it's not upsetting that often. Like I, it's definitely, you know, in this particular moment where the world is even more challenging than it was two weeks ago. Um, I mean, and maybe it would be harder to watch, but I've found that it is not super upsetting, even though there are definitely some real political themes that we can point to. Um, but, you know, because with horror, a lot of times there's a question of like, is this too scary or me? Yes or no. And, and like, there's gory stuff, but it's an adult anime. I don't know. Um, um, I'd I love think to hear depends- from you guys. Yeah, what do you think? Oh, I was going to say, um, I think it de- definitely depends on your limit for graphic violence, because mm-hmm. Warren Ellis could just... Uh, it looks, it, watching this, you can definitely tell he's having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, he wants Dracula to be, like, scary and powerful, so there's a lot of blood and gore. I think that's the biggest drawback. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. I actually am a big fan of how bloody and uh, gory and violent it is. This is feels like a throwback to the yesteryear of uh, anime and stuff like Ninja Scroll mm -hmm. and Vampire mm -hmm. Hunter D and all these other, you know, uh, uh, bloody, gory, violent adult anime shows, which also mm -hmm. have, you know, great storylines and characters and everybody has, you know, proper arcs and motivations. Like the show, it reminds me most of really isn't even anime. It's kind of like a, a better Game of Thrones in a lot of ways because mm. it all is about like court politics and procedures and how is the war going and this that and the other um, yeah it, I think if you're a fan of that type of show because every all these streaming networks are trying to create their own uh, Game of Thrones including HBO their own version of Game of Thrones networks Netflix already did The Witcher. Amazon's Ugh. doing Lord of the Rings. Um, I think Castlevania is probably one of the better uh, fake Game of Thrones uh, so far to come out because they let uh, Warren Ellis handle it, who's a, I think mm -hmm. is a really fantastic writer, and he wrote every episode of this. And I think it's, you know, all in the whole, very, very good. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. And it's interesting you bring up The Witcher because for me, when it comes to blood and violence, there's like this very narrow balance between me loving it and me not being able to take it. And sometimes it can be hard for me to categorize like what exactly makes something be in my okay space versus my like, ah, run away. And I watched the first episode of The Witcher actually the other day because I was hungry for some post-Castlevania content. And I didn't think it was very good. And it was also too upsetting. So I'm like, not only is this not very good, it's also upsetting. And yet I didn't feel like Castlevania was too much for me. Um, and it's been incredibly gratifying. I just am so like revitalized wanting to talk about how good this show is. And definitely court intrigue is what's at hand in, in much of the story. So hopefully, uh, if anybody else has anything else you want to chime in during the spoiler-free section of the oh, show. Oh, is this like why you should that. watch Castlevania? Yeah. Well, you yeah. mentioned the voice, uh, the voice acting and the voice mm -hmm. acting cast is stacked so if you're a fan of um richard armitage he's the lead um and he's also um who is thorin oakenshield from the hobbit mm -hmm. um but and a lot of other stuff but he i i like he is also having a lot of fun and his line reads are just freaking incredible uh, but mm -hmm. season three was exciting because Bill Nye shows up and Jason yes. Isaacs is there to say some incredible lines. Can we say so. about Bill Nye as, as Saint Germain? Um, this is non spoilery. Uh, his storyline has some like real connections to Michael Moorcock's science fiction work. And he sounds like Michael Moorcock in it. And I don't know if that's deliberate. Uh, I will go into more about what I mean about that in the spoiler section, but like shout out to him. Oh, um, really such curious. good performances. So, such good performances. And Bill oh. Nye doing more vampire stuff. If you uh, miss uh, the underworld series, since he's one of the uh, uh, elder vampires in that. And he plays like a, a was like, like almost like a mare, but more powerful uh, in this one. Yeah. There's a really uh, great cast. Um, James Callis from Battlestar Galactica, uh, Dr. Uh, Gaius Baltar. He plays Alucard. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rila, Fukushima, Rila Fukushima, she comes in in the third uh, season playing uh, Sumi, who is a, a vampire, like a, like a ronin uh, looking to hunt vampires. And Peter uh, Stormare, 
uh, he plays like a Viking vampire. So it's a really, really uh, good cast. And I, I really in, uh, enjoyed their performances. And like his character, when it first comes in Peter Stormare, like I had this feeling it was going to be this really one note, like barbarian character, but he actually is way more interesting than that. I didn't feel like any of the characters ended up being one note, even though, like, seriously, like, I felt like when he came on, when his, uh, Godbrand, like, Viking, when, yeah, yeah, when Godbrand, the Viking vampire came on the screen, I was like, oh God, this is going to be unbearable. But then by the second appearance, I was like, no, this is a great character, bring it on. So it is that kind of show. Like, even when you think somebody's going to be just a one note and irritating stereotype, they're actually great. So, yeah, um, I thought this, um, this was really interesting season because it had a couple, um, like, Avatar-ish notes. Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra notes to me, especially with mm-hmm. the uh, Rila Fukushima character. Because um, she shows up with another vampire hunter from Japan, as um, which who's voiced by uh, Toru Ushikado. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like he was kind of like a Sokka character. <laughs> like, oh, wow. He gave me, like, a lot of Sokka vibes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so it was kind of interesting to see it start playing with, like, these animation archetypes that I know. Right. <laughs> um, because I know some of these characters have storylines in the game, but I don't know which ones are which. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all right. a fun mystery to me. Well, so, uh, yeah, so Leslie is here from, like, actual video game playing land, and Kat and I are from, like, I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. like, I think Saint Germain is from the game, right? But, uh, basically, all the characters, uh, except for most of the va- named vampires, they're not from the game, but basically, mm. all the human magicians and whatnot are from the game. But as far as the Castlevania storyline goes, the vast majority of the games don't really have a very complicated storyline. The, co- the storyline is basically dress- Dracula has returned from the dead after a dark ritual. His castle is back, and the whoever is the Belmont of the time has to go and uh, kill Dracula again to stop him the darkness from taking over the world. That's the story of like about 90% of the Castlevania games. And the only thing that really changes is the time period and the Belmont. Mm. That's uh, a part of the story. They did try to do uh, something a little bit deeper uh, with the, uh, some of the PS3 uh, era Castlevania games where the storyline actually turned into actually Dracula is a Belmont who was a vampire hunter, but was um, betrayed and also tricked by Satan. And it's this whole big, big cosmic scale uh, storyline going on more with a more fleshed out story. Has no connection whatsoever to the TV show, though. This is all... completely uh, original stuff other than the Belmonts being vampire hunters and Dracula being the king of the vampires. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I, you know, one of the things for me, like we got immediately got really geeky about all the locations and the specificity of them. Um, and like how rooted it is in like, this is Malachia. And then when they're like, oh, now they're in Styria, you know, like my, my, my husband was like, I think that's in Austria. Go Google it. Yes, it's Austria. <laughs> We're correct. Like there's a lot of geography that gets played out all around Central Europe and then in North Africa later on. And um, the setting like is pretty, the setting is an interesting component of it. Like it's not super in depth. There could definitely be more in that space, but if that's the kind of thing that appeals to you in a story, this does have that going for it. 
another thing is that everyone is very pretty. That is true. A lot of sad, beautiful men. (laughs) And everybody is really tired. Like, everybody sounds so exhausted. It's very Um, relatable. Actually, I want to get into that in the spoiler section, so hold on to them. But yeah, no, the the people are are beautiful, the animation's beautiful, and the people are, like, not generic looking. It's so nice to not have any kind of same face issues. All the character designs are really unique. They have, like, women who don't all all look like each other, but color shifted. Oh, there Um, were so many good... Good vampire wives in season three. Oh my god, it's true. We I, we we now have four different possible vampire wives for us in season <laughs> season three. It's like whoa, um, yeah, no, and there's lesbians. Like this, so like this is great. Like in case oh, in case the question for you of do I watch this is are there lesbians? Yes, there are lesbians. You should watch this. <laughs> I forgot that's a key factor. Um, and are there characters who are people of color with really good story arcs? Yes. Like I think Isaac is the best character. Period. Oh, Isaac so. is definitely the best character. Absolutely. And his um his voice actor is incredible. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. So do we have anything else we want to say before we go into full-on spoiler land? No, just if you have been fiending for some that good old old school anime, like this is really good and the animation looks good and like say the modern berserk uh anime. It's for the most part like very, very uh well done. I think maybe there's a bit more of two people talking in rooms than there were were in the old school anime days. But once you get past mm. that, the action scenes are really actually quite phenomenal when they do them. I wasn't. They really are. It it felt like um, I don't know. Castlevania kind of feels like an old school anime, isn't? You can definitely see that the animation is a little um, like where they're putting the animation money into. But mm-hmm. I even felt like some of the episodes that didn't have quite the full range of motion for some of the fight scenes, like it was very economical how they did the fight scenes that made them really fun and interesting. And we do know because of Twitter that they did put in extra time to make sure that the first fight between uh, Elucard and um, Simon Belmont had like extra drapey hair. So they yeah. have some priorities. <laughs> I mean, that's, priorities. that's what I want. I want there to be some crackling sexual tension between two beautiful, sad rivals. That's what I want for my anime. And Warren Ellis is delivering it. And with that, we enter the spoilered land. I, for one, will be the first to admit that uh, I didn't realize that Alucard was Dracula backwards. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't really know how to spell, so. Uh, but anyhow, um, which actually brings me to, I, I'm, one of the things that I find most interesting about the show is I feel like the whole theme of it is people who are exhausted by the world. And the question is, do you want to just take the world down with you? Or mm-hmm. are you going to do something? about that problem. Um, and the answer like, is almost always take the world <laughs> with you for yes. most of these characters. Yeah, right. exactly. It, it's, it's, the show is really nihilistic most of the time. Well, it's, it's very Warren Ellis. Like, oh, yeah. do you think Warren Ellis dislikes the Catholic Church? Hmm. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's something else that is going for it. Is it well, it's interesting because on the one hand, it acts like there's some validity in the theology, right? Right, it's like, true. There is the a fact hell. that the fact that well also the fact that Lisa would be in hell. I was like, yeah. that's ridiculous. She's a good person. And then it was my husband who was raised Catholic was like, that might be that might be um purgatory, actually. I was like, you know what? Actually, you might be right, but still like that's giving credit to like 
that the, that the church's notion of like heaven and hell and sin is somehow like accurate and real in, in that way. And right. I don't mean like the good stuff where they're like, hey, stop robbing poor people. I mean the like weird stuff that is not particularly what, right. But yeah, I mean, the it could be, socially minded. Yeah, the thing I picked dimension. up on is that, yeah, mm-hmm. like another dimension, and also God is bad, too. God's an asshole. Yes, and the, right. So, even <laughs> if it's all true, I mean, if you're looking at it from an objective perspective, oh, Lisa, who seemed like a person who did pure good, and she still ended up in hell somehow, oh, it's because she didn't worship this particular, uh, you know, God, deity, and he is like an, an insane person and so he mm-hmm. has created hell for all the people who don't worship him um and even if you spend your life uh healing and helping people using science and advancing human knowledge uh, you still end up in hell because god is a mad god i guess that's the difference between me watching this as somebody who's not an atheist was being like oh see it's so unfair they have bad theology where that where these things are all wrong and like hardcore atheists, you'd be like, see, yeah, fuck God, which actually is interesting because, I mean, truly, my, my, the moment where I find, it took me a little bit of time to get into uh, Sifa. Sifa, yeah. Sifa as a character. I didn't really love her until she said, God is my enemy. See, look, he's scared of me. Like, <laughs> that's when I said, you know what? You're okay. I like you. <laughs> I, I think um, most of the characters yeah. uh, took a little bit of time to grow on me. Like, I hated Trevor in, like, mm. the first couple episodes. I was like, I have seen the drunken, bored guy who's still a perfect fighter, like, before. That's just really – it was really, really boring to me. I also didn't help that Warren Ellis's version of humor in this show is to have the characters just randomly start talking like people in 2020 doing improv. Like, that's mm-hmm. the number one form of humor. But eventually, I think, you know, all the characters get better the more uh, we learn about them. I still wish Trevor had, like, a little bit more substance. Like, I don't know, maybe, like, he should hate vampires, you know? have some, mm-hmm. maybe he should be really mad at monsters but he doesn't seem to have uh he just seems to be like a too easygoing guy to supposedly have all the be all the troubles that he has uh and too you know dispassionate but uh maybe that we'll see more of that later on oh i feel you know, like it just oh go ahead. go ahead um i was gonna say like how you mentioned how everybody seems so fucking exhausted i mean to me trevor is just burnt out like Mm-hmm. He he had to deal with all this shit. He's the last Belmont, and it's like, who gives a shit? Now Dracula's gonna kill the whole world? Like, oh, I guess. <laughs> um, so to me, I don't know. That's an archetype I really like. Um, sad sack, competent adventure. I could deal with, like, <laughs> less getting punched in the balls, maybe. Warren Ellis could scale, scale back that a little for me. But It's interesting, because for me, I was, like, watching the show, and I said... If you describe Trevor Belmont's character to me, I would be telling you, fuck that guy. We do not, I do not need to see that guy that is so boring and I'm tired of his fuckboy bullshit. But then actually watching the show, I was like, no, you actually can do a Byronic anti-hero and have me not hate him if you do it well enough. Like, and I really think that the voice acting was part of me actually liking it. Cause I just, if you described him to me, that is not a character I'd be happy to spend a lot of time with. Oh, sorry? The, his delivery is just like he makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Richard Armitage yeah, is like, like delivery. If I, bur- if, I bur- if I burst into flames when I enter this church, that's on you. Like amazing. Right. Um, yeah, um, and I really like, like him and Sifa. I love their dynamic, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that like 
The third season is all about like hoping your OT3 gets back together <laughs> and your OT3 yeah. pining for their they're like missing pieces and you're like get it together guys the reason you're so dissatisfied is because alucard's in his castle um, i um literally have written in my notes the following words um sorry one sec alucard finally gets a threesome but it's a creepy one yeah <laughs> that was so disappointing i was like oh god this is going to be terrible and actually that shows you again the what was it the penultimate episode of season three you're mm-hmm. intercutting between these really intense scenes that are all happening on completely different levels and the yeah. same level of like fear and foreboding is manifest in all of them and i thought it was so interesting that the show's like yeah we're going to give you this thing you wanted to have happen but it's not going to happen the way you like at all and it's sort it's- of is like how how in the um you know, in, 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 in the death scene for Dracula dying, like it's still incredibly emotionally painful and you, you want him to get killed, but you do still feel the pain of having to kill your own father. And I, mm-hmm. I it's, it, it, it wants to give you enough of what you want, but then show you the ways in which it's actually fucked up. To me also like, um, what was the threesome? So like Japanese vampire hunters arrive in his idyllic lonely castle and he takes them under his wing and you get this recent, but it sort of felt like how fanfic tropes play out. So, um, like, you have the bad boyfriend first, <laughs> and then, like, the good boyfriend can come in. And sort of felt mm-hmm. like um, Warren Ellis is like, okay, he is a sad bisexual Dracula. Um, <laughs> and our other two people have also been sort of dissatisfied with their great adventure life. Hmm. You know, like please rate and review and see what happens next chapter. So it sort of felt like reading uh, a sort of formulaic fanfic in that sense, even though that scene was very different. Hmm. I don't know. It, it, I've read a lot of fanfic, so that's, that's how I can relate to an OT3 on a show like this. Thank you. No, this is a good, it's a very important perspective to bring to bear to this conversation because all of that is hanging around the show in a really clear way that the creators are interacting with even in their own comments. Oh, yeah. Warren Ellis is definitely like creating all of that tension and OT3 ness intentionally. It's not like some shows where you're like, oh, did you guys not notice this kind of queer t- like chemistry happening? He knows. Yeah. He's there for that. Um, I mean, I think one of the the other big things that I, it's just like, this is so Warren Ellis, is like he's all about stories where there's this hidden wisdom that is out there that's really powerful. And like, who deserves to access that hidden knowledge? How is that hidden knowledge used? And, you know, in this story, that's all based around Dracula. And it's sort of, I was rewatching the beginning of the show before we started, because I wanted to sort of have a refresher of it. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of fascinating, like, Dracula is not interested in humans, and yet he spent all this time perfecting human science and medicine. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened that made that change for him? I mean, after Lisa dies, we, we know why he goes and decides to kill the world. But, like, right. before that, like, what is the story arc of Dracula becoming this repository of all of this knowledge? And I had never really thought about Dracula as a character for that before. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, the whole series, like the two, the two Japanese vampire hunters, mm-hmm. they're going to Alucard because they want to get the forbidden knowledge. And yeah. he's like trying to, they're trying, is he withholding it from us or not? Um, and then the five women, um, the four women vampires talk about that. Um, with Hector, mm-hmm. too, the sort mm-hmm. of, like, technology that they have and have been able to maintain because of their longevity. 
Yeah, and uh, I think well, at one point they say that the reason why Dracula, you know, travels around and learns stuff is because he was inspired by Lisa. He already had, you know, a ton of knowledge, and she came to him uh, to get some of that, and then that drove his passion even more. I, th- I think the most we get, Alucard talks about how, you know, his father is actually not a monster. He's a man of science and philosophy. He wants to understand the world he lives in more than anybody being you know one of the most powerful beings uh in it so uh, they really did make dracula a very very intriguing character i kind of missed him in uh season Mm -hmm. three since he's uh, not in it uh at all but he makes you know a really good believable villain another thing that they did to kind of explain the conflict they actually talked about how his you know plans and his rage don't actually make sense and all the other vampires are like what the fuck why does he want us to do this i love that (laughs) i think that's so great and they're like, what the hell is this? Well, like, because he basically is one of these, he's this, this, and I'm, it's, I see this very much through a political lens. Like, he is this powerful man who has decided that be, he's going to just take the world down with him. And um, he's not even transparent in that with most of the people. He's transparent in that with Isaac. And then Isaac is on his own, basically identical quest to that afterwards. But, um, you know, he, he's committing suicide by the whole, using the whole world to do so. Um and one of the reasons that I, I really appreciated Carmela should I come in season two. One of those reasons is because, oh my God, have you seen her? But the other reason is like, I wanted someone to point out, hey, aren't you basically committing slow suicide right now? Aren't and you killing way, all of us? If, yeah, like the way that she would put, and, 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 and uh, Godbrand as well points at that in his own yeah. way too. Like the way that they're there to, to debate with him and to have scenes, really in- intense conversation scenes with him was really great. I enjoyed Carmilla so much in season two. And then in season three, she's just abusing people. And I'm really glad that she's got her wives around to like make me happy. Cause I, like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no longer ever, I'm no longer a Carmilla stan. Like in, now that in a world without, without Dracula, I am no longer a Carmilla stan. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, and Warren Ellis is like, here's this hot, sexy lady vampire who's mm-hmm. got a better head for strategy than Dracula does at this point, And you root for her. And then at the end, they're like, oh, like it like her toy her mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting how Warren Ellis does um sort of the psychosexual horror in interesting ways yeah. um mm-hmm. and with sort of starting with Carmela because you're like oh this is kind of a sexy dynamic like um powerful lady vampire sort of like more naive um forge master with Hector right um, and it's sort of playing like kind of tropey. And so I think he plays a lot with these ideas of like things that we find sexy, but that are not good in real mm-hmm. life, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, cause you're watching like a vampire anime. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, All no, right. I think she's she's it. a sexy it's, vampire. And then at the yeah. end you're like, Oh shit, this is actually horrible. Like, there's nothing that, that, sexy it. about He's, it by yeah. the end. It's yeah. all about giving you what you think you want. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. My favorite scene with her is when she just beats um, Isaac nearly to death just because she can. Like, that's yeah. reminding Hector, us yeah. what... Va- oh, Hector, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. reminding us, like, what a vampire is. It's a monster. You know, you don't fall in love uh, with them. Don't trust them. They're all, you know... E, uh, evil people who uh, view humans as uh, food. So, like, I really enjoyed that they made that scene where, oh, the cool, you know, vampire that we're kind of rooting for because she is more sensible and rational than Dracula. We think she's better than him. It's like, no, she beats the shit out of Hector uh, for, just because she could and starts uh, talking yeah. to him like he's an uh, animal. Uh, 
Right. Because yeah. it's like, well, he is to her. Yeah. I um I I was just like, God damn, season three making me feel bad for Hector. I, I resent that. And yet here I am feeling that, right? Right. I do want to like, talk it, about eyes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was mm-hmm. going to say, it makes you really, you're for a second, like, and I'm like, I know that sh- this, the vampire that's courting him is going to turn on him. Like, you know how it's going to end up, but yeah. you're still like, oh, I want this. Yeah, Lenore is amazing. And she's, she's yeah. also spelled it out to him. He he knows what's, the, the, right, what this he knows. is. Yeah. And he has no choices, you know? Right. So... So I want to talk about Isaac again, because he's my favorite. Um, Oh, he's great. Isaac is such an interesting character. Like, you know, he's coming into wanting to learn as a boy. He's like being beaten and brutalized, I think, by crusaders. I I don't know. I couldn't place the exact situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's like, I want to learn magic so I can like help you, like literal person who is oppressing me now, which is kind of the dynamic that he maintains with Dracula in the sense that Dracula is also like, you know, someone who's going to destroy the world and he's going to keep like serving him. Um, but he's right. such a, he's just so compelling all the damn time. And I also don't feel like we've seen someone quite like him before in this sort of story. I, yeah, I found, um, I found, I find him fascinating cause he's so powerful. Um, and so restless. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and this season- I was always super confident in his abilities and everything until that la- that episode where he's going against the wizard who's con- mind controlling all those people. That was like the first time yeah. I was like, oh shit, Isaac is in trouble. Like when you have that moment where there's literally a, hu- a hive of human bodies being controlled and you have one of, heck, this is also the first time I felt bad for one of the night creatures, really. You have right. one of... Um, one of his night creatures is like holding up this globe of these swarms of human and it's like Atlas holding the world. And then the swarm of human bodies descends and consumes him. I was like, this is amazing, like cinema, right? This is amazing art. And like, yeah. wow, I really feel for you, giant hell monster. And also Isaac. I thought that was cool. Him, um, them diving into more of the, the hell creatures. Cause it's sort mm-hmm. of, um, it's sort of this interesting contrast to the vampires that have Hector captivated, right? They're keeping him for his power, and he's, like, rising these demons from the dead, but they all seem, like, really fucking amped about it. Like, hell yeah! <laughs> like, I'm here to destroy whoever you point me at. Like, thank you so much for the second life to kill. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was That was very interesting to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's a. I, I really like uh, Isaac's arc. I like seeing him. Like you said, you know, you know, he he's shown as really, really powerful throughout season three, but then he's presented with a challenge that seems like insurmountable uh, for almost anyone. It, it escalates and escalates. They did a really good job of editing that scene with three other scenes that were taking place. Mm-hmm. There were two sex scenes and two massive action scenes taking place all at the uh, same time in the show. And they did a really good job of constantly, you know, ramping up uh, the tension to at the point at the end where we think, you know, Isaac might actually lose because he u- loses all his demons and he's, his soldiers, w- which we thought he had an almost infinite supply of. And he just has to fight uh, basically bare hand in order to survive and win. Yeah, it it was quite the climax. Hey. Um, The other thing that came from the Isaac storyline that I really loved was we get what I believe to be the only, like, baseline human, normal human character who has any agency 
and is compelling in any way in the entire show. And that's the captain, yes. the ship captain. Like the ship captain is great. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he's the only person who has no special, the only human who has no special powers, who shows any self-determination or brains or gum or anything in the whole show. You know, I think as like a positive character, I felt like the judge was doing a lot. No, the judge was killing all the, I mean, the judge right. gives you this thing, right? Like he's killing all these, he's like, he's like a child rapist, murderer, like whatever. Like he, he had, he does have agency. Right. But I like, mean, I guess that's yeah. what I mean. Like he's yeah. definitely steering his own ship. That's he's true. a horrible, like, yeah, child murderer. Oh, wait, but St. Germain. St. Germain is the other one. I'll talk about him in a minute. But yeah. Anybody have any other captain thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I loved him. Yeah, he's played by a uh, Lance Reddick, who is uh, yeah. mostly known from The Wire, but he's you know has a wonderful uh, voice. Uh, I'm kind of sad we didn't get to see more of him, but I couldn't really see anything happening to him uh, except the thing that happens to all the captains that say pilot Conan the Barbarian ship, um, and all those <laughs> stories. They always end up you know dying <laughs> because yeah. you know, they take yeah. him off. And this was his you know Isaac's journey. That was just a Conan story. He comes to this town that's run by this evil wizard, and he takes them all out uh, in order to you know complete his quest for ven- vengeance or whatever. That's a very, you know, Conan the Barbarian like story. So if the captain had stuck around, he definitely would have gotten killed. Uh, in short I order. was really expecting yeah. him to die. So I feel like Warren Ellis must have him p- up his sleeve to pop out. Cause mm. you don't create like such a dynamic character like that to me anyway. Maybe that's a good Just, point, but you're um, right. It is totally a Conan story. That is a good observation. Um, um, let's talk about, so while that is a Conan story, I want to talk about the Michael Moorcock story hidden over in a corner of the, uh, Castlevania story. H- have either of you guys read any of his work at all? Uh, or no. like Elric of Melbourne? No. No, I haven't heard nothing but good things though. Yeah. I'm, um, I basically got into him because I listened to Hawkwind a lot. And okay, so I was going to say, my- I've listened to <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult, so. Well, there's the connection too. So yeah, like, you know, prog rock artists do love Michael Moorcock. But, um, I mean, one of his big things of his particular brand of psychedelic cosmic sword and sorcery um, is he has the concept of uh, the infinite corridor. And Saint-Germain, Saint-Germain is out there trying to find the black corridor and I'm immediately like, oh, it's a Hawkwind. And it felt like all of the imagery that we see through that corridor, it all felt like it was coming from a separate Michael Moorcock section of the universe in a way that I really liked because it's a multiverse. Why not have part of this be like leaking in from the Michael Moorcock land? Um, and then when you have that, uh, the big reveal of the crucified monster in the basement um, I started referring to that whole sequence as being like, oh, that's from the Hawkwind in the in the church basement. And now oh, interesting. I'm just really obsessed with the notion. Because to me, that's I, that's Evangelion right there. Ah. <laughs> that's like yeah, a huge... No. Right, yeah. Points of reference, that's very different. The only reference that I had, like, when I saw that, I was like, ah, I see. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about the Evangelion thing. Um, uh, well, so it's interesting because... Um, Evangelion is one of those animes that um, plays a lot with Christian imagery, but is not really mm-hmm. trying to interrogate in, interrogate Christianity. Really, it just looks to, cool. Like, yeah, it just looks <laughs> fucking cool. So they're um, all the kids and the robots are fighting these aliens called angels, um, and it turns out, I guess, spoilers for Evangelion. Is that okay? It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
Everyone's like, seen it but me. <laughs> <laughs> so they, when it turns out that Nerve, the organization that they're all fight, that runs all the robots and stuff, actually has a captive angel crucified, like an enormous one, mm. in the like core of their uh, base. Oh, wow. So, and like that's funding their science or whatever. Um, and it's like a horrifying reveal. Um, yeah. And yes. So it's it's sort of interesting seeing that that anime image recontextualized in a story that is is pretty like not subtly or metaphorically critical <laughs> of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Several of the monster des- uh, oh a couple of specifically of the monster designs do look like the angels from Evangelion, like the like seraphim demons that. There are like mm-hmm. three or four of in oh, the last. Oh, those were so cool. Yeah, they look. Um, they're very biblical with the multiple eyes and the wings. Yeah, and uh, the, another yeah. thing that the corridor remind me of, but this is probably this is so, another work that borrows from uh, Michael Moorcock is The Witcher. Um, the Witch, uh, a central mm-hmm. like the main storyline of The Witcher Three is about uh, this character's ability to travel between you know different worlds and realities, and, and it has kind of the same effect because the witcher basically takes place at the same time as castlevania does but we usually think of dimensional hopping as something that happens in the far future in science fiction and so when we see you know these characters in this medieval uh from this medieval storyline like hopping to another dimension that's like and they're on like another planet with alien moons or machines roaming around i think that's a very like interesting thing uh to see uh both in the, it was very interesting in The Witcher, and the sequence in Castlevania is almost exactly like uh, the sequence that ha- happens uh, in The Witcher. That's really interesting. Well, the, uh, the the idea of the corridor itself, like of the Black Corridor, like having the uh, the access to all the different points of Earth and all the different multiverses, is it like mm-hmm. I, I think like one of the first people to really coin something as a multiverse in that same way was Michael Moorcock with his own multiversal work with the Eternal Warrior. Um, and like, I think that this is definitely like all kind of coming through there as well. Um, this is such cool layers of layers of things. I want to read one line from the poem by Michael Moorcock, uh, aforementioned the Black Corridor as a Mm -hmm. song by Hawkwind ends with the words, space is a remorseless, senseless, impersonal fact. Space is the absence of time and matter. And like his voice when he's reading this aloud on the live album of In Search of Space Ritual is like, this is Bill Nye playing St. Germain, who, by the way, <laughs> great character. I think there's going to be a lot of St. Germain cosplay going on in the future. I could see that. Um, I uh, I liked it as, um, I like the idea of hell as a parallel or like a separate dimension. Yeah. As opposed to like literally like, uh, the more biblical interpretation of it, yeah. you know, I guess, um, so I was raised Buddhist, so Catholic imagery is, like, I, I understand all of that stuff, um, on a more intellectual than spiritual level, I guess. Mm. So those, like, um, in one iteration, there's, like, the ten worlds, and those are from, like, when you reach enlightenment when you have like all the knowledge you're at the top and then heaven is lower than that and then you know you have your multiple hell levels and stuff so to me it sort of seems um sort of felt thematically tied as you talked about the who is the arbiter of knowledge and who Mm -hmm. is preventing knowledge and um do you deserve this knowledge um depending on what you're going to do with it 
um, that I felt like was really tying together in season three. Um, yeah. Especially with Isaac, because it is like a Conan adventure where he has to fight this evil sorcerer king, but he doesn't, he doesn't free the town. He, he like murders the rest of the survivors, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but he makes he, he says he wants the city to stand though, in case somebody else moves right. in. Exactly. Crazy. So I think it's really interesting that he gets this like hero's arc, even though it's pretty grim. Yeah, even though well. he's a supervillain, he this is his supervillain yeah. origin origin story. I mean, I guess like is my my question is like is Isaac impartially sympathetic because we see him grapple with racism in the story, or is it like is that part of the reason why we feel that way? Well, I think part of it is his relate his human relationship with Dracula, right? So for him, it's like a lot of beyond his ideological des- desire to destroy humanity. There's that personal revenge factor. He shows loyalty. He shows loyalty, mm. unlike uh, a Hector. I, I actually thought, you know, Hector. He kind of got what he deserved for the most part because, <laughs> you know, he betrayed, you know, this person who, you know, really believed in him, and he didn't have to. In fact, it, it was really interesting because Isaac and Hector are basically used by uh, Camilla uh, to convince Dracula to do the same thing. The only difference is Isaac doesn't betray Dracula in the process, and Hector does betray Dracula in the process. Well, I I think Hector thinks he's manipulating Dracula to do the right thing. Right. Like he's not coming from a place of ill will. You can still say that that's wrong, but it's not like malicious. No, like, it's not with, malicious. With yeah. But I love when Dracula says to Isaac, you may even have a soul. And then he sends him into the desert. And I wanted to be like, dude, don't send him into the desert. Send him somewhere he wants to be. Like, that was a very noble, like, when Dracula goes and rescues Isaac, I'm like, yay. Mm-hmm. But I wanted him to maybe not send him into the middle of the desert on balance. They gave me very um, exes who respectfully left and consider each other, like, very good friends vibes. Like, they, they have, have vibes. real, they like, do. romantic intellectual vibes going on. So I think they do. in that sense. And then you sort of, you understand that he has been wronged. So I think that's sympathetic. Um, I don't know. I found myself, I mean, it's sort of like, damn you, Warren Ellis. I know what you're doing, but it's still happening. Like, why am I rooting (laughs) for the school? But he's very beautiful and, like, you know, they were fucking rude. (laughs) Yeah. He could have just gone through that little town and nobody would have died. Yeah. But speaking uh, of... Sorry, go ahead. No, but I was saying you can't really blame any of the townspeople considering for all they know, like the apocalypse is happening. There's constant monster attacks. Like why would they let a bunch of monsters roll through a city just because the guy in charge of them says, oh, no, no, this is fine, actually. Yeah, don't worry about it. I mean, I guess I would do that because I would immediately be killed by one of those monsters. Like it seems like (laughs) it's worth it's worth a shot, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. I, I know, you'd be like, well, this one is kind of cute. Can I pet it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's um, like, well, I don't think we're going to win this altercation. <laughs> so, That's sure. an interesting question. I mean, I, but I, I want to talk about the townspeople in general. Like, I just, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning of the show, we see all the townspeople going along with the church and having a grand old time as they burn a woman mm-hmm. who's trying to save their lives alive. And basically just all the townspeople, like, then the next time we see townspeople, we see those two guys in the bar talking about goat fucking. And for, like, two seconds, they're like, fuck the upper class. And I'm like, yeah, you tell them, peasants. And then they're like, and fuck the Belmonts. Who, and I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good after all. 
Um, oh, and it's yeah. like everybody in Wallachia who won't fucking leave, even though it's a literal hellmouth. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, like all I the, see oh, what you're yeah. saying here, Warren Ellis. All the peasants and- suck. I just want there to be some peasants that don't suck. It kind of makes me mad. The speakers, however, are interesting. Um, were the speakers in the game? Leslie? Uh, no, uh, so uh, not, not that I'm aware of. Uh, so, uh, mm-hmm. The you know she's in the game, obviously. Uh, she's in a couple of games, Tifa. But I don't. I mean, like the game. She's like a priestess, right? Yeah, she's just. I mean, and we're talking about like a NES game. Like I didn't even right, know so. that she was supposed to be a woman when I played that game. You know, it, it's just like a blob. It's just like a blue blob mm-hmm. on the screen. There, you don't really. <laughs> learn yeah too much she's supposed to be like a she's a witch of the church i think is her description originally uh in the game but i i I really have to emphasize that the early games just don't really have too much of a story the second one kind of did because it's a sequel and the storyline is that uh simon belmont who killed dracula uh in the first game has been cursed by dracula and now he has to gather up all of dracula's bodies uh body parts who have that's been spread across the land and kill him again and it's one actually the earliest um mainstream role-playing games with you know actual you know text-based storyline that you can follow along still very rudimentary uh i i have to say because the castlevania games are really just kind of action games and what you and some of the the, like the monsters you see and so every story every game starts with you just entering dracula's castle and and you move from room to room fighting uh these waves of monsters that mostly keep respawning sometimes you have fishmen sometimes you have bats you have flying medusa heads um and then you move from room to room and then eventually you fight a big boss character and then you move to the next stage it's a very it's a video game as video game um the early ones that didn't really have a storyline or much of a narrative other than uh kill the monsters Interesting. Yeah, I guess I kind of thought there was more to it because it felt like speakers the feel like they the have speakers, a lot of lore. Like, yeah, exactly. And the concept of the speakers felt a little bit half baked in a way that made me assume that, well, people who've re- played the games must know more about them. This must be just something I don't know. No, it was something. Uh, and like, they didn't explain Forge Masters either, really. Yeah, it's so, yeah, because yeah, in the game, like, I think uh, Isaac and Hector are just, they're just uh, other villains in some of the games, but they're not necessarily connected. Um, in it um or like in this court with you know dracula or anything like all the real you know big backstory is you know all from warren uh ellis uh more pretty much the only character that kind of had you know a similar story in the games as he does in this is alucard you know because he's uh dracula's son who has who was the uh, who is you know half human half vampire his mother has died his father is trying to take over the world and he uh rises from a slumber in order to go and uh, lend his hand to help humanity and uh fight dracula wow Um, what do you think um so what's your political analysis of castlevania because i feel like there's a lot going on that i love and it's really fun and tropey and like everybody's having a blast but i feel like I don't know if there's, like, what is the coalescing theme? 
I mean, yeah, that's sort of the thing I was warning about is I think it's super nihilist and there's like, there's kind of no space for the 99%, so to speak. They're all kind of terrible. Right. It's sort of like the hoi polloi are very complicit in their own subjugation. Well, they're like hardly people. Like Like they don't have any Mm -hmm. agency. They don't do anything about it. They let terrible things happen and they don't get involved except for the captain who's cool. Right. You'd think more people would be like, hmm, seems like a lot of kids die (laughs) immediately after speaking to the judge. I think I think <laughs> like, yeah I I because I really do think it's trying to it's the show is doing a lot it's doing you know court mm-hmm. intrigue it's doing you know swashbuckling Conan the Barbarian adventure it's doing you know um, these kind of almost like ghost stories or haunting stories or like a monster mm-hmm. in the forest stories you know it's trying to do all these tropes where. Uh, regular people are just mostly there to be slaughtered and for the hero uh, to come in to prove that the villains are dangerous, right? It's doing right. like all these, it's combining these five different genres that actually have nothing, uh, not that much to say about common people other than like, we shouldn't tr- trust the powerful. Like that's kind of the main thing. I, I com- it, This series will remind me a lot, a lot, a lot of Vampire Hunter D, but Vampire Hunter D mm-hmm. is a little bit more like it's very different uh because you know the vampire lords do rule o- over humanity in that mm-hmm. but it they vampire Hunter d makes it very clear that all the quote-unquote peasants uh hate it and are fucking pissed off but they just aren't strong enough to do anything they can only you know fight uh off these these creatures of the night in you know night by night they have to fight them and when uh Al- Al- alucard who is actually also a character in the main character in Vampire and the D comes along. They're just happy to have some more powerful uh, help uh, to fight off Dracula because they want to defeat all these vampire lords who have taken over their world and are 100% representative of like monarchy and the ruling class and everybody knows that they're bad but it, but Castlevania starts off from the more of the premise like Dracula is not actually doing anything until the humans fuck up and then he gets his revenge whereas right, like the real oppressors were the church yeah yeah and yeah definitely um and then I guess that continues in some of the towns but there's never you know, like, the townspeople are never helping them out. Like, you'd think more people would be pissed off about all these weirdos showing up to their church, right? Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) Sala. Yeah, I was sort of hoping that Taka and Sumi would take on that sort of, uh, I guess, more proletariat role, because they are, like, directly, like, these subjugated humans Mm -hmm. who are trying to save their their country from the power vacuum that has occurred since their vampire subjugator has died. And I guess there's that sort of, there's that nihilism there, right? There's no, um, this might be a reach, but I don't know. It made me think of sort of how Parasite, um, the like political conversations around Parasite because of um, the lack of class solidarity, you know? <laughs> And it's sort of like the inability for them to work with Alucard and accept that. Um, yeah, like it, it really is just that because <laughs> what they say to Alucard is we don't trust anyone. We, we are, we're always betrayed. That's just a ni- that nihilistic perspective that a lot of the characters have. And it ends up leading uh, mostly to their own uh, destruction when they turn on, try to turn it on others. Right. Well, I suppose this is a good time to remind people that nihilism is bad for you. So <laughs> take that 
for real. Right. So it's it's really interesting seeing some like a lot of fanfic tropes being put into this show that is actually really bleak at its core to me. Like mm-hmm. Hector's story is very nihilistic, but he's also like the wooby. Like, the character that everything bad happens to, but he's so pretty, and I, you know, like, you feel bad for him. Right, Um, right. But he, you know, it's like, you don't need to write womp fic about him, because Warren Ellis is just doing it. Uh, He he, he (laughs) reminded me, uh, both because of his look and his torture sequence, of uh, Griffith uh, from Berserk, um, who who has, like, a similar arc, but, you know, he's much more willful. Uh, Griffith is much more willful than Hector, so actually his downfall ends up being a lot more painful uh, for the viewer and for all his friends once he gets uh, his revenge. And I, I would not be surprised if uh, Hector uh, gets his heat back, gets a comeback in uh, the next season where he, you know, is able oh, yeah. to take out all the uh, vampire uh, queens who are torturing him. I, absolutely, yeah. I think it's it's interesting because um, his the voice actor for Hector is Theo James, who is the um, like the stoic YA love interest for the Divergent series. Oh. So I think that kind of adds like that because he's like that tormented, handsome hero, but also like, you know, necromancer and stuff (laughs) who's working for Dracula. So like he fulfills all these different like wooby purposes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you know, we're like with Carmela, like she acts like she's going to bring down the male order and like she announces herself in this way that's right. I'm going to bring down the male order. But then it's like, no, she just wants more power for herself. Yeah. I'm with, Um, she's very, I'm with her uh, during some of the speeches. Totally. Totally. Oh Um, yeah. yeah. Like, and the, they're like sisterhood. Right. But it's like, Mm -hmm. we're all working together like ladies to use these people as cattle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet we're also like, oh my God, they're our wife. Like, right. Sure. You know, so, it's like, you know, cause they're amazing. They're amazing. I, I was like, I, when there was like the Westigia and she's like eight feet tall, I was like, thank you. Thank you, Warren. We, we right. Yeah. Like, it's, um, it's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I, I'm just curious to see sort of like the end, re- like, like what he is doing with all this kind of sort of trope subversion or sort of like making you root for the characters, like using this cool character design and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the all these anime signatures and like, ooh, hot lady, big shoulder blade, like big shoulder pads um, yeah. kind of thing with Camilla. Um, and then that switch around, uh, that sort of like reveal for those characters so what the reveal ultimately will be, or if he's just going to write this for as long as Netflix is going to, you know, like, is there an ultimate end to these storylines? Are you just right. totally flabbergasted every time Netflix hands you a stack of money? <laughs> I actually have a genre tropes question for you guys. So in season three, it's clear that, um, that Trevor and Sifa have been traveling together as lovers and, you know, you see them in bed together, but you never mm-hmm. see them kiss. And I was looking, I think the first actual kiss on the show that's like a romantic kiss is between Lenore and Hector. And that's like three seasons in and in a like fucked up situation, right? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that, there, is, is that normal for shows of the genre like that there's no kissing, but like there's obviously people having sex, including nudity? Yes. Like it's very, yeah. yeah. It, tell me more, tell me more. This is fascinating. Yeah, so like in Berserk, like there's a 
big, 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 long arc, will they, won't they arc between uh, the main character Guts and uh, Casca, who is this uh, female uh, general in this art mercenary band that Guts is in. She's in love with Griffith, but Griffith is in love with Guts, and Guts is in love with Casca. So it's this kind of weird, you know, triangle going on, and not just you know romantic love, but adoration too. Uh, they and they all appreciate each other, but eventually Guts and Casca do fall in love and have sex uh, one time before Casca um, loses his mind. Loses her mind. Griffiths murders all their comrades, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, it has to be like the saddest scenario possible. Yeah, right? it just does. Yeah, this sort of action anime. There's no room for romance. Vampire Hunter D too. Like if you fall in love, you die. <laughs> D can never know the warmth of another uh, person because he's a damn peer, and if he gets close to somebody, he's going to want to bite them and drain their blood. Um, there's really uh, like I think. This sort of uh, storytelling, uh, uh, this sort of action anime very much frowns on just ha- normal, happy relationships. Even when people are in relationships, they're not outward about it because half the time they're like in a work, in a uh, war meeting, you know, gathering their war parties together. They're, they're not going to be holding hands and sitting on each other's lap during that. Well, it's yeah, all but about, they, we it's do all about the people. battle. So I, I see Trevor and Sifa hold hands all through season three they're they're cuddling all through season three they're in bed together in season three but they don't kiss yeah so i thought that was actually wild because i feel like in a lot of adventure anime some of the fun for the writers and the audience is sort of picking up on more subtext and for them to be so like oh your feet are cold like it's it's a lot more explicit yeah 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 you know than um a lot of the older animes to the it's pulling from it's sort of like you could interpret it that way they're probably be boning but like the show's never going to tell you versus this where it's like yeah we're boning it's happening we're fucking in this cart but like it's interesting to me that you can say like we're fucking in this cart but you can't mm-hmm. show kissing like that's what i that's yeah. what's getting to me as being oh, like, oh okay. kissing yeah. is too soft <laughs> so it, it, it yeah. sort of felt like more explicit than the the trope than for the genre yes. to me so, like, kissing would be like, whoa. <laughs> also, right. like, do they have toothbrushes back then? They're probably, like, Trevor's probably disgusting. Really Let's be they real. do mention a lot yeah. t- that Trevor smells really bad. <laughs> yeah, so. He needs to stop drinking so much. But, yeah, I know that was what I was trying to understand as I was okay. like, it's interesting to me. There's nudity. Like, mm-hmm. like there's nudity. But, like, kissing, that's, that's a bridge too far. Well, uh that made Alucard's sex scene so sad, right? It seemed like it was like the most tender and emotional one. Well, right? except it's creepy. It's like, it, but it's, it, I don't think it's just the intercutting that's creepy. I think like, oh no, because like, there's like that edge of suspicion with these two yeah. characters yeah. that show up. Yeah. Otherwise, because Warren Ellis starts with this beautiful idyllic scene of Alucard spending his solitude in the beautiful woods and stuff. You know, it's sort of like, yeah. oh, now something has disturbed him. I want them to be good, but... Well, he's like a Bambi, right? He's like in the yeah. forest gathering his like fish and like and and his garlic that he likes to roast and eat whole, which now I really want. Um, yeah. And um, and like, yeah, it's like... Well, that's one of the things I really appreciate the show with us is it takes a moment to breathe and let you look at nature. Like, I remember in one of the earlier episodes, you just get this red moon and the camera just spends time looking at this red moon. And when they're in the countryside outside of where, you know, in season three, like it lets you actually look at the beauty of nature. 
Yeah, and this does kind of get to like a what you just mentioned gets to a political angle that the show I feel like could have went in but really didn't. Um, like uh, Dracula maybe wanted to eradicate humanity because of the environmental damage they done throughout the show. Yeah, I kind of was wondering if it was if it was going to pick up with that with all the nature. Community. Yeah, but it, it really didn't. Like when we see like the pile of shit in the church or something like that, and Matt, or like you know all these you know decaying buildings that we see all these big projects. Like Dr- Dracula's mm-hmm. never looks out and says, you know what, I liked it better when there were trees here or something like that. That could have that could have been like an ongoing theme yeah. uh throughout it but it's not really picked up on yeah like with the the sort of industrialization quote unquote of the wizard town yes yeah you know as people are being used to build this this beautiful city um yeah but yeah i felt like it could have definitely dug deeper into that oh i've got a question for you guys Mm-hmm. Did Sulla was Sulla aware of what he was doing at all? Like was how was he being completely mind controlled? What do you think? The monk, uh, the monk, the leader of the the leader of the monks. I, I think we're supposed to think that he had some idea of what he was doing because they make a point because he actually says to um, the guy that don't treat me like I'm crazy and um, the guy and St. Germain, he tries to reason with him several times uh, throughout it. Like you need to be careful and stop what you're doing. You have a fucking giant uh, eldritch uh, demon in the basement. Uh, you uh, more or less, he said, suggest this, that, you know, this is bad for him. So we're, I think, and when he looks at what he's done and that he's actually, open up a portal to hell uh he says you know what the fuck <laughs> um uh yeah. yeah he did i don't that's what i mean like was that the so, spell breaking like or was he just not realized what he was doing this whole time i think he was supposed to be so the judge is like hardcore authoritarian fascism right mm-hmm. and then sulla is supposed to be like the dangers of complete zealotry so i think it's not that he didn't really know what he was doing it's that he just totally direct redirected whatever in like intense zealotry he had before for the church yeah. was like immediately redirected. Yeah, so exactly. he knew what he was doing, but he was always going to be that way regardless of what he was doing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I yeah. do want to say yeah, what um, a cool concept that is of like an anti-church, like a demon falls into your church and everybody <laughs> is, you know, uh, mind melds with it and you know starts doing its work and you turn your massive uh, crucifix upside down and then you put the demon up beneath it i thought that is just like a really 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 cool uh creepy uh thing that i hadn't quite uh, seen before so it's interesting to me because that night creature is created by isaac um Mm -hmm. and that was the reason that he was so it was so focused on dracula right yeah i think so um because of his will controls that night creature but it's interesting that it would go for the church because of isaac's faith being like this whole other plot thread yeah, and I, so to like use the church and faith in that way was interesting to me. Yeah, right. Because Isaac does say that he's Muslim. Yeah, yeah, and like they talk about that, and like he he's like the self-flagellating dude that was part of his faith in the previous 
uh, season, and he talks about how he lost his faith and wasn't praying and wasn't connecting to that side of it. And then you find out this whole time, this night creature created by him, in some way moved by him, subconsciously or not, is like chilling under the church. Well, thank you guys for joining me. That was like exactly the conversation that I wanted to have. Is there anything that you haven't had a chance to say that you wanted to? Uh, I do want to say that the for the demons and where they come from, he got this from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer because what these people are doing is bringing souls from hell and having them inhabit uh, the body of uh, dead people, which is how vampires work in the Buffy uh, verse. And they and Buffy verse also uh, suggests that hell is just another dimension. In fact, there are several hell dimensions so um if you also are a fan of you know buffy and it's you know lore you might get something out of this too Mm, that's true and marvel also has multiple hells as well you got to contain all those stories and like make one big multiverse of it all i didn't know that about buffy though that's fabulous I guess this is the other thing. It's interesting how Warren Ellis uses, like, in fan fiction, there's the concept of dubious consent, which is not, like, a real thing in the real world because you can't, like, that's not how consent works. But the sexual violence on the show is not the same sexual violence that you expect from a show like this. If you're comparing it to Game of Thrones, you know that's kind of how sexual violence is presented. The way Warren Ellis uses sexual violence in a way that is very different than the genres he's playing with do yeah um because it's still sort of like a power examination but it's not um like a woman hasn't been the victim yet and i think that's something that could all like that's also a warning if you're wondering whether or not to watch it right there is still sexual violence in it but i think it's sort of um has been out of the just like I haven't seen it discussed as much, and I think part of that is because um, it's being perpetrated against men, you know, mm-hmm. and in a way that is sort of like like the situation becomes a different situation versus like an outright assault at the beginning. So it's sort of like the same thing that he keeps doing, like handing you one thing and then showing you another. And so to tie that in with all these other things, I don't know. It's hard to talk about, I guess. I think anyway, it is hard that's to talk kind about, of some half. I'm, no, I'm I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's that's like very true. That is probably one of the reasons why it's not like oh my god another. Well, one, it's sparing. It's not right. It's not like constant. It's unsparingly into. It's not just like women, and it's not being done in like a as much of a salacious way or graphic way in some ways, but there's definitely complicated, like, yeah. But I do think in some ways it is meant to be like eroticized, but in a way that is like, it is erotic and it is disgusting at the same time. Yes. That's a better way to explain it. Yeah. 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 And so that's sort of what I mean. Um, So it's just, it's, it's just, um, and I don't know how I feel about it. Cause I don't know that, um, necessarily bringing the sexualized violence aspect of it to that level really brought a lot to the narrative to me. Hmm. Like, that betrayal, I felt like, didn't need to occur at the same time. You know, like, the juxtaposition is strong and emotional, but mm-hmm. I can't tell if, if, like, it's too much 
quote unquote fan service in a show that is nothing but really fan service. So <laughs> <laughs> these are the questions. I, I did. I, I mean, I enjoyed the Lenore and um, Hector storyline because, you know, anybody watching the show with their brain on obviously knows from the beginning that Lenore is going to, is just views Hector as a means to an end and uh, less right. than. And I mean, um, even Hector knows yeah. this, right? Like the yeah. show at no point is like, this is expected behavior or, or normalized behavior. Yeah, but he forgets, uh, I think, uh, because he's so lonely, he's been treated so poorly. Uh, we see him forget in real time and then uh, fuck himself over uh, even more. Well, to me, it's sort of, it, it felt like he didn't have really a choice. Like, does he buy into yeah. this, like, softer fantasy he's being given or does he continue to get the shit beat out of him, right? Um, but it's, yeah, so, like, watching... I think, like, for Game of Thrones, you see a lot of that sexualized violence as sort of, like, this is an expected part of our gritty world versus, like, this is a real betrayal and something that is very, like, uh, traumatic for these characters, you know? Mm. Um, like, this is a weapon that they are using, but... Yeah. Um, and no point are you like, well, I guess that's just what happens. Right. Right. It isn't normalized as like, well, this is how things were. Were, what do you mean were? <laughs> right, exactly. Not, yeah, like um, this is yeah. just a historical rape. Like, you know. Um, so it's not like that that kind of like adding it's not set dressing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, well thank you guys again. This is totally the conversation that I wanted to have. Hooray. Yeah, thank you so much um, for having me. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, so tell my listeners where they can find you on the internet. Uh, Leslie, where can folks find more of your awesome critical work? Yeah, just uh, check out Struggle Session, patreon.com slash struggle session. We do not one but two bonus episodes every week. Trying working out there hard for your five dollars. I know, I know it's hard out there for a lot of people, uh, but we appreciate all the support. Thank you so much. Thank you. And where can we listen to uh, read more of your work, uh, Kat? Uh, you can find my writing on a woman write about comics.com, uh, where I write about comics and TV and film. And you can find me on Twitter at dog underwater. And of course, this is your host, Elana Levin, AKA Elon, E L A N A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana Brooklyn. I am on uh, Twitter a little bit too much. You can definitely find me there. And um, I'm also going to be a guest on an NPR po podcast live show this upcoming week. I guess I'll share that information around soon. Right. Uh, and as we, yeah. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.